On his second missionary journey, Paul stopped briefly in Ephesus. He promised to return. He has returned. Uh, We are in the third missionary journey now, and we've seen him arrive in Ephesus. We've seen him find uh, 12 disciples, maybe disciples of John. Seems like they had at least had some profession of faith. Uh, They did not know about the Holy Spirit. They They had only been baptized into the baptism of John. And uh, he he taught them, shared with them, prayed for them. They were baptized and uh, they received the Holy Spirit. And uh, it says there were about 12 of them. So he's he's just beginning here in Ephesus. He's been there teaching the word we see in in verses 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 8 and read through verse 20. But uh, in verse 8 it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. We talked about that last week. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. So that, now watch this, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11, and, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, over, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to fifty thousand pieces of silver so the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily we'll stop there let's pray lord this is your word give us a thirst for it attentive ears seeking to understand your word and live in its light help me to preach your word in the power Of the Holy Spirit of God. Lift high your son. Teach us from your word. Bring us to faith. Nurture that faith. Lord we pray for you to bless the preaching of your word. So help me to preach it. Help us to hear it. In the power of the spirit. Accomplish all of your purpose through it. That we might hate sin. And love Jesus. And live for your glory. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. I think it was 1973. If 
I'm remembering this right, I was 13 years old. Parents don't do everything right. I'll let you parents off the hook. My parents allowed me to go with my cousins and my friends' parents who took us to see the movie The Exorcist. Scared me to death. I don't recommend that as a viewing for you or your children filled with false theology and all sorts of things. But it, it rocked my world. I was living in a perfectly controlled, natural environment in which those things didn't exist. And then they did. And I was terrified that a demon was going to get me was going to possess me, was going to sneak in at night or whatever. I mean, I, it, really, it really frightened me. But my cousins helped me because the ones that went to see the movie with me, they were older and girls and playful. And so I got in the car with a couple of them a few weeks later and instead of talking in their voice, they said, Hello, Jeff. <laughs> I expected to look in the back seat and see their heads spinning around. But you know, that movie, as, as frightening as it was and as, you know, false as it was in a lot of places about how to address that, highlights a truth that there is holy angels and the Holy Spirit and a holy God and there is darkness, there, is, there are evil spirits and the devil and Satan that are active in the heavenly realms. We don't see them and, and we can be like I was and just living my life and ignoring those things and thinking they're not there. But we see that show up in the text, in the work in Ephesus today. I mean, we see extraordinary miracles. We see demon possession. We see repentance, certainly. God winning in the context of all of this, we've already seen that, how He is taking hold of Ephesus and the capital of the, the province of Asia, a very important city, a place where the Apostle John would be, where a church was planted, a church that is even mentioned in the book of Revelation and commended but challenged for losing its first love. That's the church that was challenged about that. And Ephesus was a, was a great city. It was a large city. Anywhere from two to 400,000 people there. Um, and it was a city that was just steeped in the occult. A lot of supernatural things would, the people would be accustomed to. Certainly they sought the wrong things. And the gospel was flourishing and they were coming to faith as we see. But today, you know, we see a glimpse of all this supernatural stuff in Ephesus, but we see greater than that. We see the gospel thriving in that context. Sometimes we look around us today in the darkness of the culture, the darkness of the cities that we live in and the places we live, and we sort of lose hope, right? But if God can shake Ephesus, if God can shake Corinth, if God, I mean, He's still at work, and Swansboro is nowhere near as at least overtly dark as a lot of these places were. So we're going to look at these things. I told you about that last week and told you to pray. Um, people do a lot of weird stuff with texts like this that we're not going to do. But I want us to look and see an overarching message that sort of we've seen before, but in the midst of all of this activity, 
The truth of the matter, God's truth is triumphing because God is triumphing. God's truth, main point, triumphs through His church for the deliverance of His people. And we'll see three things in this, in this text. We'll see Paul and the extraordinary miracles. We'll see a reverse exorcism. <laughs> the exorcist actually gets cast out instead of the demon. And we'll see magic and repentance from, from those sorts of things. But they're real. Greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. But let's look first at extraordinary miracles. Look at this in verses 11 and 12. In, in Ephesus, Paul's teaching the Word. We saw this last time. And the Word is going forth. Paul's not running around all over Asia at this point. He's teaching in the hall of Tyrannus. But he's teaching people who are taking the Word with them. And so that the Word has, has permeated that region. It said, it said in verse 10 that, that the residents of Asia, that whole province had heard the Word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the word is getting out and the word is doing its work. So you would expect some things to happen. And you'll see some resistance next week as the riot breaks out in Ephesus. The idol makers are not happy that their business is being threatened. But anyway, extraordinary miracles. It said this. Now watch this. Watch who's doing the miracles and what's happening here. It said, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, in one sense, you read that and you say, wait a minute, a miracle by definition is not ordinary. So, in one sense, they're all extraordinary, right? So, the, the, the apostles never sort of gathered to report what was going on and would just seem kind of bored by the ordinary miracles that were happening. But these are, these are not the common ones. These are things that, that are, are... God is condescending to the superstitious nature and culture of the people to show them great and mighty things so that their, their, their trust and their, their fear and their faith might be transferred from the false to the true, which is Him. But it says God was working extraordinary miracles by the hands of everybody in the church. By the hands of Paul, through Paul, through, through, through him as an apostle. But look what it, how it says what was happening. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Handkerchiefs and aprons. This probably... Paul was a tent maker, right? He worked. You might think of a bandana in our culture. When you're out and it's hot and you're working and you put a headband on to catch the sweat to keep it out of your eyes. Or an apron. It could have been a sweat towel around the waist. Some of us are getting a little grossed out now by people taking those. And why would, I don't know how this came about. Why people started taking these to other people and all of that. But they're taking Paul's sweat towels, sweat rag, around. Notice the first thing. Paul is not selling these things. Paul is not, if you'll just send for one of my special prayer cloths, God's blessing will invade your house. Your children will be saved. Your prayers will be answered. No, that person's going to get wealthy. And you're going to have a junk piece of cloth. 
That's what's going to happen. I mean, I saw one. If you don't believe me, it still goes on. Look online. I saw Pastor Billy. I think that was his name. Selling his anointed prayer cloths. The anointed. Yeah, they love to use that language, don't they? The anointing travels through these. No. The dollars travel through to Pastor Billy. That's what happens. Nobody, Paul wasn't selling these things. He wasn't evidently even promoting these things. This just was happening and amazing people. Handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched the skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. What's happening here are mighty acts of God. And even, you know, even Pastor Billy and other people who tr- seek to build God's people with foolishness like that don't read this text. This is uncommon. This is un- not ordinary. This is not what you're to expect. This is sort of a, a special and different thing God did in Ephesus with a purpose that was achieved. And we'll see what that purpose was. But these are mighty acts of God in that bandanas and sweat towels were being used as instrument, but it was God who was doing the healing and the delivering, confirming things and moving out that way. He was demonstrating his mighty acts. Why? Well, I've already said that during that time, Ephesus was very steeped in the occult. It is said that the roads were jammed with musicians, sorry, musicians, magicians, Fortune tellers, interpreters of dreams, and the like. There was lots of supernatural darkness in Ephesus. But these signs show Paul and Paul's God, Paul's gospel, show the Holy Spirit to be more than a match for anything going on in Ephesus. Anything the the darkness has to offer. But just remember, the power was not in Paul. It was God using His instrument for His glory, doing things that were not ordinary, that would be talked about so that people would listen to the message that the Apostle was bringing. God was doing these extraordinary signs with a purpose, and it wasn't to enrich the Apostle Paul. It was about the Gospel going out. But really, these are signs of confirmation for an Apostle. I'll just give you, and I've gone over this before as we go through Acts, but we have people in here who haven't heard it. We have people in here who've forgotten it. We, we just need repetition. But signs of an apostle are what are taking place here. And look, in the, we've seen this in Acts before. In Acts 2.43, it said many, when, when the, you know, the sort of the model we like to use for the early church and what we want to be and everything they were devoted to. One of the things it says in 2.43, many wonders and signs were being done through, catch that, watch for that when you read, through the apostles. Not just everybody. And not just anybody. But through the apostles. Much like Jesus coming in. And, and, and through Jesus, these people are being healed. And He's healing and doing these things so that He preached the gospel and deliverance uh, is happening. These signs were doing, being done through the apostles. And a few of those on whom they laid their hands that were in church leadership, but mainly the apostles, it is to confirm them. Look at this in Acts 5.12. Many signs and wonders were being regularly done by the people, among the people, by the hands of the apostles. 
So it's not just that this, there's sort of this class you can take so you can learn to sell these handkerchiefs and aprons so that people will be healed. The apostles who are part of the foundation of the church, we don't have any apostles today, big A, like this, who walked around with Jesus, commissioned with him to build his church and set the foundation. We have little A apostles, we call them missionaries. But we don't have big A apostles anymore. Paul said this, what happened in Corinth and what happened in Ephesus. He, he tells us what it was. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He said, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs, wonders, and mighty works. So those signs were to confirm that person as a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and to confirm their message. It would not be a sign of, a, of an apostle if everybody was running around doing stuff like this. There was never a time when everybody in the church or those outside of the apostleship were, were miracle workers. Paul says they were signs of an apostle and he was an apostle and he was being used in that way. In fact, it was God who was bearing witness to the truth of his gospel. Hebrews 2.4, talking about 2.1-4, talking about paying attention to the message of the gospel that was spoken by Jesus and then those who heard the apostles. And it says this in, in Hebrews 2.4, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, what's happening here is God is bearing witness to the authenticity of Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ and to the authenticity of his message, which is the gospel, which is what is the power of God for the salvation of Jew and Gentile? Miracles? The gospel. Romans 1. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first, to the Gentile. So God is confirming his gospel with these signs through his apostles. You might not know this, but there were only three. You read the Bible and you think miracles are just happening all the time everywhere, right? There were only three eras when there were widespread miracles. The first one is Moses. The era of Moses. The second one is Elijah and Elisha. Prophets. And the third one is Jesus and the Apostles. Those were the only three eras of widespread miracles. And they each lasted no more than a hundred years. And what I mean by that is God using men to, through them work, perform great signs to confirm His, his person and His Word and, and the person that He sent to be His mouthpiece. I mean, God still does miracles. Just don't have miracle workers running around. So the miracles come to confirm the apostle and his gospel. That's their purpose. They're signs of an apostle. And those are the three eras when they were widespread. And it's God building his church. There's so much more we could say, but we've said a lot during our study in Acts, so we're going to move on. But it says, look at the outflow of this at the end this is the connection between what I've said and what I'm going to say. But it says at the end of that, in verse 12, that when they took these aprons and they touched, the, you know, the, the sick were healed, and look at this, evil spirits came out of them. So, 
in a sense, exorcisms happened without Paul even being there because these things that had touched his skin were laid on these people and demons came out. So, look at the second thing. A reverse exorcism. You have this itinerant band of exorcists running around and, and it was fairly common and there would be these elaborate ceremonies and, and name calling and, and all of this kind of stuff to try to cast out the demon. But it, you have a group of them here itinerant uh, exorcists doesn't say whether or not they were making a lot of money but evidently they're very famous as to what flows out of their failure but it says this in verse 13 then some of the itinerant jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the, the invocate the invocation coming bringing that against the evil spirit to try to cast them out he says they undertook to invoke the name of the lord jesus over those who had evil spirits so they've seen, they've seen this happening. They've seen Paul preaching Jesus and God using him and the message to set people free. So they say, hey, what we'll do, we'll take this magic name and add that to our stuff so that we can kind of be like Paul and, and have this success. It says they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. This was a bad idea. They said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Sounds like they have a really close relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? They're using Jesus' name as sort of a, a magic bullet. We don't ever do that, do we? We think that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. If I'll just mention his name at the end of my prayer, I'll have what I want. That's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name, by the way. Good book, Praying Backwards. It's praying in line with the authority and purpose and name. It's submitting your prayer to Jesus' will, to the Lord's will. But they, they think they can just have the power without the relationship and responsibility. To have the benefits of the relationship without the commitment. There are a lot of sermons in that, aren't they? Guys are born good at that. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And it was seven sons of a Jewish high priest or a man who claimed to be a high priest named Sceva. Not important, not going into a lot of that. The ones that were doing this. But look what happened. The, the demon speaks to them. We're in no way to be running around trying to get demons to speak to us and learn anything from them. But th this demon has a message for them. Look what it says. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. So Jesus I know, that word there, experientially know. You know, Paul I recognize as in Jesus, one of his followers. But who are you? What are your credentials to be? Holding this name over me. They didn't get to answer that question. Because it said the man in whom was the evil spirit. Leaped on them. Think of a, think of a tiger crouching. and he, he, he let, There's seven of them. It says he leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And that word for wounded means that's going to leave some lasting effects. 
There are going to be some scars and stuff involved. Now imagine anybody who witnessed that or whoever called them and they've called them in to cast out this demon and probably a crowd outside the house. There were certainly witnesses that whatever that voice sounded like and all of a sudden this great commotion and what one of my friends called the seven little spiritual dwarfs. But <laughs> they come running out of the house naked and beat up. That's southern for naked. Naked. No clothes. They were wearing a lot of bruises and cuts and shame. They had no authority because they didn't know Jesus. They were not commissioned as an apostle. They learned a lesson that day that they probably never repeated that mistake. But this is why I called it a reverse exorcism. They went in to cast the demons out and they're the ones that got cast out. And don't you wish you knew the rest of the story? What happened to that person? It's not important for us to know that. But they went out beat up, naked, shamed, and a lot of people with slack jaws who saw it. And look at this in verse 17. It became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now watch this. Look how God worked through a failed exorcism. And fear. This is a reverent fear. A holy fear. And a respect. It says, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Was honored. Was lifted up. Was high. And greatly honored. Now the name of the seven sons of Sceva. Well, got what it deserved. But the outflow is Jesus' fame and the building of His church. But let me just take a minute and pause for you and just talk to you a little bit about whether or not you're living like I was living before I saw that movie, The Exorcist. A, a survey was done, I think it was in 2009, of con professing believers, professing evangelicals, and that means less and less the farther we go along. But 40% of them said that they didn't believe the devil or demons were real. That they were just kind of metaphors and all of this kind of stuff. And, and quite a few other percentages were just unsure. Right? And I'm here to tell you that they are real. There is a real Satan. There is a real devil. There are real fallen angels. Possession was a real thing. See... In the, in the United States, I mean, Satan is smart. His tactics are, are smart. He's been doing this a long time. In the United States, which is increasingly a materialistic culture that kind of forgets God and spirit, you know, false spirituality, he kind of hides in plain sight. Think about covert warfare. You send people in to blend in with the society, to spy it out, and, you know, he hides in plain sight. He doesn't make a big deal of his presence because he's able to accomplish his purposes without doing so. So he's mostly co covert in our culture. But he's really there and, and, and you can see the effects. But think about Jesus. Just, just think about this quickly. I'm not going to make you read all of these verses. I'm going to give them to you if you're taking notes. Jesus and the man in Capernaum where he cast out the demon. Jesus and the man's son at the Mount of Transfiguration where the apostles who were left at the foot of the mount couldn't cast it out. Jesus comes down and he cast out the demon. 
Jesus heals many and casts. Paul and the fortune teller. We just saw that. The lady was possessed by a spirit of divination. And Paul cast it out. And then the job description for apostles in Matthew 10. So Mark 1, Matthew 17, Matthew 8, Acts 16, Matthew 10. One of the job descriptions of an apostle is they would cast out demons in Jesus' name. The devil is real. And the best thing he can do in your life for accomplishing his purposes is convince you that he's not. And that is dangerous to be living in the midst of the enemy and not know they're there. He's real. He's there. It's true. You read Job, you read all over the Bible. I mean, I, we can tell you personal stories. I think when I was teaching through the book of Ephesians and got to chapter 6, there's some really weird things happening in my house. But I don't draw attention to that because it was just weak and, you know, Christ wins. But there's real evil out there. But there's real holy angels out there as well and especially God's presence. So we don't have to fear him. But if you don't believe the devil and demons are real, this is one of your major applications walking away from here. You need to rethink that. I think about Ephesians. Paul wrote a letter to Ephesus and he said, we all were following the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, when we were walking in disobedience to God. That's characteristic of the evil one is rebellion against God. And Paul said to these people who would have had a lot of context with spiritual reality that before you came to Christ, we were captive doing the will not of God, but following the prince of the power of the air. So he's real. He was there. It was manifesting himself so real that a man possessed by demons just tore up seven little rabbis and sent them running out of the house. We'll talk more about that later. The sons of Sceva tried to borrow the name and power without embracing Christ and they were cast out. They, they do not believe Paul's gospel, but they want the power. Look at the result. We had fear and we have reverence and the name of Jesus Christ being highly honored. All through a fake or a false or a failed exorcism. Not fake, but failed exorcism. The gospel is flourishing. Christ's name is being lifted high. People are being delivered. Look last at burning books. Burning books. What has happened? Well, Jesus is winning. We've seen that like he always does. Sometimes it looks like the devil's succeeding, but he doesn't. Just like the cross. Think about the cross. The cross looked like the worst failure possible for the church when it, when reality was the greatest success. The evil one, darkness did not win. Christ was crucified. Atonement was made. He was resurrected. And the gospel goes forth. Well, the gospel is going forth in Ephesus. Jesus died for our sins. Why did Christ die? Was it because he was just made a victim? He was a righteous man who was treated badly and, and he was betrayed and killed. Well, yeah, on a human level, a lot of that's true. But God 
had foreordained his son to come and live in fulfillment of his law and then die on that cross to pay the penalty, not for his sin, he didn't have any, but for the sin of his people given to him by the Father who he came to redeem. And he brings the gospel by the Holy Spirit to us so that we hear and know that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, he was raised from the grave, best provable fact in history if you don't use a double standard raised from the grave he ascended and is reigning in heaven and he is coming again someday for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life kids are you trusting Jesus parents are you trusting Jesus people are you trusting Jesus you can't pay for your salvation you can't earn it all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Christ came to save His people. He's the Savior and we are the Savees. And He gives salvation as a free gift to everyone who trusts Him. So repent and trust Jesus. Turn from loving and pursuing self and sin. Submit to God. Receive His Son as your Savior. And He gives us a new heart then that wants to love. And He's working all of that, by the way. We, we, we have repentance and faith because we've been born anew, not in order to be. But he's working through the gospel to bring his people to faith in his son, which radically transforms their lives. And that's what we see here. Look in verses 18 to 20. Many of those who were now believers. So notice what comes first. They come, what comes first is the gospel and salvation. They are believers. They've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they're being drawn, uh, transformed into the image of Christ. But look what it says in verse 18. Many of those who were now believers came. Now watch this. Confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who... Now notice, not all of them were probably confessing this involvement in magic and sorcery and all of that. But many of them, they're confessing their sins now. They're, they're, they're coming out of their and confessing their sins and you know, being made right with those that they've offended. They're confessing their sins to God, being cleansed because they are believers, because they've received grace, because God has had mercy upon them. And it says a number of those in verse 19 who had practiced magic arts sold their books. They brought their books together and burned them. They didn't sell them. Erase that from your memory. Jury, forget this last statement. No. They brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They, they brought these books together and burned them. Now, this was not a protest of any kind or, or you know, some sort of moral majority getting together and burning all of the bad books. These are people convicted about their sin, bringing these, these disciplines that have been taught in these books of darkness, bringing these books together and burning them in the sight of all. Repenting of that. That's what I want you to see. They're not just burning books. They're repenting of that. And it's a visible, costly repentance. What, what are they talking about magic arts? Well, sorcery, witchcraft, magic spells. Uh, a lot of these ritual spells and things would be spelled out in these books so that you can go and learn these incantations and accomplish with them whatever it was you were seeking to accomplish. It's another attempt to be in control. 
and one's own authority goes all the way back to the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But these magic, this, this, these rituals, these spells, the use of names, we saw the, the itinerant exorcist trying to do that. They're used to accomplish what one desires. Let me listen. There is no white magic. There are no white witches. I don't mean Caucasian. It is all darkness because it is all rebellion against God. You can play around with that stuff if you want to, but I'm telling you it is dangerous to dabble in those things. And I'm going to retract that last statement. Don't play around with those things. I'll leave you up with your own list of movies and stuff for your kids. But anything that makes this flippant and fun and okay is wrong. It needs to be, you need to beware of it. They didn't get together for a movie watching time. They burnt the stuff. They, they got rid of it. And look at this. This was costly. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And there's discussion on what piece of silver was this. Whatever piece of silver was, it was a lot of money. And it was probably the drachma which would have made this six or seven million dollars worth of books they burned. Man, there's, 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 there's revival going on. There's the gospel. It's just turning Ephesus upside down. It is rocking their world. And those who are involved in magic and things like that and, and maybe unwittingly involved in darkness have become convicted about that and they are turning from that. And listen, they, some of them had a lot of money in those books, but they didn't sell them to recoup some of that. They counted it as loss and set it on fire and got rid of it. So what we see is costly repentance. They became Christians first and then they were convicted of this sin and they repented, turned from that sin and renounced and rejected it. They, wanted now, they now wanted to honor the Lord in all that they do. And they now believe the Lord that everything He forbids is dangerous. Is not helpful. Darkness is never a friend. Kids, look at me. Young people. Especially girls for some reason. Going after Wicca and all of this stuff. It is darkness to be repented of. Listen to me. Look at me. And adults too. The question is not whether or not it works. Right? Whether or not the potion or the spell or the incantation works and made that guy like you or girl like you or the car or what. what it, the question is not whether or not it works. It's whether or not it glorifies God. And that will help you with a lot of questions in your life. Don't look at the short term benefit. There's pleasure in sin for a season. There's success in it. It doesn't mean all success is sinful. But the end, the ways, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. 
The question is not whether something works, it's whether it glorifies God. And it doesn't even work if you're talking about from God's perspective. But from our perspective, we get short-sighted and there are certain things that we want. And it's sort of the end justifies the means. Right? And if it works, then I'll use it. It's whether or not it glorifies God. And they were convicted that it didn't. And they brought the books together and they burned them up to ashes. Repentance. Revival. Look at another result statement in verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Notice what's increasing and prevailing. It's the word of the Lord. It's the gospel prevailing in Ephesus. Jesus wins. Darkness is being pushed back by the gospel. God is pushing back the darkness in Ephesus with His gospel. He is saving and delivering His people. And He is planting what will be a very pivotal and important church in the city of Ephesus. Let me just give you a few thoughts as we conclude. And I'm done. Take serious the Word of God. But as it regards miracles... These miracles confirm the gospel and the apostles as Jesus' representatives in founding the church. The mission has been accomplished. The foundation is laid. There's no more apostles. There's no more need for it. Read Ephesians 2.20. The, the apostles were a part of the foundation. Christ Himself being the cornerstone. Once you lay a foundation for a house, you build on that. You don't keep laying the foundation. The foundation is set. These, the purpose of these miracles was to verify Paul as an apostle. Verify the gospel and look what happened in Ephesus. And they're just as much our miracles as they were theirs. We don't need new miracles. We have feeding of the 5,000, 4,000. We have it all here in the reliable historical record of Luke. He's been called a very highly rated historian of the first rank. So the, mir the miracles confirm the gospel. The gospel succeeds in Ephesus. Just a warning. Don't give money to people for blessings. Don't buy Pastor Billy's prayer cloth. Or anybody else's. Or any other trinket people might want to send you. A little vial of holy water. They probably got it out of the tap. Laughing all the way to the bank. Don't buy prayer cloths that promise blessing. Don't forward Facebook posts promising a blessing if you poured it. That's not how Christianity works. It's just chain mess. If you, and the threat is, if you don't forward this thing, God's going to get you. Devil's a liar. I'm sorry if you've been forwarding that stuff, but stop it. God doesn't sell blessings on Facebook or Twitter or you name it. I have nothing wrong. I have nothing against Facebook. Just use it to glorify God. Be careful. Don't let it dominate your time. That's not how Christianity works. But the miracles were always designed to magnify Jesus in the gospel. They, listen, here's another sort of, it's not really a side effect. They show God's heart and compassion for the afflicted. And His purpose to set 
his people free from all affliction, which happens in the new heavens and new earth. I'll clarify it again. I'm not saying God doesn't work miracles anymore. He does. I've seen it. Prayers answered. When the soul is saved, when a soul comes to faith in Jesus, when a soul is born again, goes from darkness to light, from dead in trespasses and sins to faith in and following Jesus, greatest miracle that can happen. Because God has to do that. And He does do that. So God is still working miracles. He's just not sending miracle workers around. There's a lot of hucksters out there. Be careful. We have no apostles today. Exorcisms. Miracles, now exorcisms. Don't walk around and fear the devil all the time. He's a roaring lion that has no teeth anymore. Because Jesus knocked him out. He tries to intimidate you. I mean, I mentioned some of the stuff happening in our house. It's even funny. It's like, really? Best you got? Demons cannot possess Christians. They can harass you and oppress you. They can, they can, but they cannot do anything against you unless God allows it and He only allows it for your good. He's sovereign and in control and accomplishing His purpose in the world and in your life. You don't have to walk around in fear of the darkness like I did before I came to Jesus after I saw that movie. Martin Luther writes about this. We sing this. I'm just going to quote this really quick. But this is from a mighty fortress. And though this world with devil's fields should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. That's what's happening in Ephesus. His truth is triumphing. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life oh so. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So let me give you two extremes to avoid. One extreme is to live like darkness doesn't exist. It's like walking across a battlefield in Bermuda shorts. That's not the outfit. Don't live like it doesn't exist. Satan, demons, darkness is real. Satan works covertly in our culture. He hides in plain sight. He takes people captive. But don't live like He doesn't exist because you don't believe the Bible if you do. It's God's Word. It's God's revelation. It's proved by Jesus' resurrection. Secondly, don't see a demon under every bush. Every one of your sins doesn't mean you have a demon of that sin in you that needs to be cast out. You got a demon of anger. No. You just got a sin problem. Paul, writing in Ephesus, says... Be angry, but do not sin. Control your anger. You know, he, he doesn't say, first cast out the demon of anger. and then, No, because see, God has done that. As he, you've come to faith in Jesus, the, the, the power of the darkness has been broken, but you still have remaining sin. But don't see a demon under every bush and every, under every sin and under every difficulty. There's a lot of silliness out there where people think in order to make progress in missions, you've got to first cast out the demons of that area. 
that's not in the Bible. That's not true. I mean, I, we had a guy come to Grace Church one time. Nice, gentle, calm, sweet, quiet, worship. And then he said, I want, let's go to lunch. And we went to lunch, and he shoved a book across the table. And, he, and I said, what's that? He said, well, that's the book that God wrote through me. All right. It shows us how to be a Melchizedekian priest so that we can cast out the darkness of the city so that we can make progress. And he went on to explain this nonsense that he claimed came from God. And then he looked at me and said, you might not want a fanatic like me at Grace Church. And I said, you're right. Absolutely right. Part of shepherding is protecting the flock. If you're going to start, to, if you're going to try to spread this, not the place for you. Not the place for you. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's accomplishing His purpose. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. His angels surround us. Doesn't mean we won't go through trouble, but we never go through it alone. Don't be more focused on devils and demons than you are on Jesus and the gospel. He's for you. He's with you. He takes care of that. So don't live like they don't exist and don't see one under every bush. Lastly, magic. Don't violate God's word for power, security, control, vengeance, or to get your way. Don't dabble in what God's word clearly says is forsaken, to be forsaken, what is an abomination to Him. What is, that means it is dangerous for you. Look at Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12. I, I, I put slides up with this in the net Bible so you could see. I think it's a little bit better here. But it says, there must never be found among you anyone who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. And all of us, well, we'd never do that. Culturally, doing it all the time. Anyone who practices divination, we saw that in Acts 16, an omen reader, a soothsayer, a sorcerer, one who casts spells, one who conjures up spirits, a practitioner of the occult, or a necromancer, whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord, is an abomination to the Lord. And verses like that are why these people confess their sin and burn those books because they didn't want anything in their lives that dishonored their Lord who had been so gracious to them. They believed His word that whatever He forbids is certainly not for His glory, but it is not for my good. He can be trusted. In our text today, we see God powerfully working through His apostle and a failed exorcism. To produce a public repentance. To establish his church in a very dark city. Ephesus. So yes, there's hope for Swansboro. In my opening, I shared that my fear after seeing the exorcist. But see, now the gospel casts out that fear. It replaces it with a reverent fear of the Lord. Because I know His Word tells me that He who is in me, He who is in you if you're trusting Jesus, is greater than He who is in the world. And we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Conquerors with His gospel, just like what we see in the New Testament. Nothing can separate us from his love and he will work in us in the same way for his glory and to bring us to beautiful sometimes costly repentance so that we might be walking in ways that glorify and honor him
So let's love and serve our Savior who has loved and served us with his life, death, burial, and resurrection, purchasing us for himself. We can trust him. One of the things the cross screams at us is we can trust him. If he forbids it, it's good for it to be forbidden. If he prescribes it, we should go after it. We can trust him. Turn and trust in Jesus if you don't know him. And walk with him and trust him. And, and burn whatever needs to be burned in your life. What is it in your life that needs to be turned from in this way? Do it out of love for Jesus. And seeking to live a life that glorifies him. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to be delivered from the, the, the false rabbit trails of texts like this and to see the big picture and to see your love and grace and to see your kindness toward us and you accomplishing your purpose and you never failing with your gospel and using fallible, weak, flawed people such as ourselves to accomplish it. I pray again for anyone who's not trusting in you, Lord Jesus, that today would be the day they turn in trust. If not, that seeds would be planted, that you would water and they would come to faith. For those of us who do trust you, help us to trust you. Help us to love you and delight in you and, and believe you and pursue you in the ways that you have outlined in your word in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your great deliverance that you have worked for us. We thank you that you are still in the saving business and you are accomplishing your purpose across this globe. Many, many, many have come to faith today around this world, trusting and loving their Savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. Help us to trust and follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.